Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fisheries Pod. If you are the generous sort, you can be like Garrett, Ben, Jerry, Janet, Robin, and John, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, and stickers on our Teespring store if you feel inclined. Our guest today is Reed Sutherland. Growing up in Pictou County, Nova Scotia, Reed has always felt pulled to the sea. In May of 2022, she graduated from the University of New Brunswick with both a Bachelor of Arts in English and a Bachelor of Science with first-class honors and concentrations in marine biology, aquatic biology, and wildlife ecology and conservation. Now she is pursuing a Master of Marine Management from Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, building upon the skills and passions that she has developed, collaborating with the Canadian Rivers Institute, researchers from the University of Miami and OSEARCH, and the University of the West Indies Jamaica campus. When she's not busy with fieldwork, coding, or working for the Canadian Coast Guard on a search and rescue crew, Reed loves to surf, read, and grab coffee from a local farmer's market. Welcome to the podcast as both a guest and a host, Reed. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for having me. As we let off your bio, you've always been drawn to the sea. I guess, what is it that pulls you in? Is it the same thing that led you to studying marine and aquatic biology? I think so, yeah. Growing up here in Picto, if you don't know a lobster fisherman uh, in your family or in your friend group, then you certainly do from the community. So there's a variety of commercial fisheries operations that happen, and just, I guess, like, in Nova Scotia, I forget the actual number of kilometers, but you're never more than a stone's throw from the ocean. So there's a number of really picturesque provincial beaches and parks. So I guess I just grew up always very, very close to saltwater. And I've always been interested in the ocean and spending time in it. And as I sort of progressed through my formal education, that really manifested in marine biology and aquatic science as well. Which boat do you fall in? Do you have a family member that's a commercial fisherman or do you just know one? We know several. <laughs> All right. And then I guess we alluded that you're going to be one of the new hosts for the fisheries podcast. I guess what first got you interested in science communication? Part of what made me really interested in for written and verbal communication in general. And I think a lot of the mentors that I've had kind of moving through my science education have discussed sometimes like the disparity or the gaps that have to be addressed in science communication and how sometimes it's not necessarily put to the forefront of priorities. And I think a lot of why I chose to do an undergraduate in English was to help with my science communication uh, capabilities. And that's something that we focus a lot on in the current masters that I'm pursuing, because I think it's a hugely important piece of science. And that's really what delivers, I guess, results and key findings that a lot of people get really excited about in fishery science. Um, to the public, it makes it digestible and accessible to people that are also interested in it, like other stake and right holders that might not be uh, formally trained in like statistics or biochemistry or physical and geological oceanography. Uh, so I think it's a huge piece of the puzzle in addressing the contemporary issues in marine management that scientists, whether that be natural scientists or social scientists or economists are currently facing and trying to problem solve. So I think that's a huge part of why I became interested in it was seeing other people in my the communities that I've been a part of through my scientific endeavors talking about how this is sort of a gap that needs to be addressed. And I think there's really unique and creative ways to do that similar to the fisheries podcast. And so we've mentioned a couple times that you had 
a, a double major and one of those majors was an English major. Did you start off uh, at the University of New Brunswick with that English major or was that something you picked up once you kind of developed this uh, passion for science communication? Yeah, so my academic journey at the University of New Brunswick was very, very not linear. Um, when I accepted my initial offer, I actually was going to go to the University of New Brunswick for um, a Bachelor of Philosophy in Interdisciplinary Leadership. And when I went into the financial services office to actually put like a down payment on my tuition and accept my offer, it was a literal split second decision. I was like, no, I'm actually going to come here for a Bachelor of Science. So for the first couple of years of my degree program, I was strictly a Bachelor of Science in Biology student. And then I had the opportunity to work in Jamaica as an intern over one summer. And I also went on an exchange semester to Thailand. And it was sort of between those two experiences uh, where I started taking more English classes just because it's something I'm really passionate about. And one of my advisors told me how close I was to a minor in English. And upon, I guess, further consideration and investigation into things like credit hours and sort of the technical components of getting, you know, a degree and checking off boxes, I was really close to actually getting an entire undergraduate. And I stayed one extra year at UMB. Um, so I did my concurrent degrees in five years. And it just made sense at that point in time for me to add another degree to my program in my third year of university. I think I might have told you when we were uh, discussing being a host for the fisheries podcast that sometimes your your guests will leave out some pretty interesting information and that they'll let slip in answers or um, <laughs> you'll find on your own. And I guess one of those just happened here that you studied uh, in an exchange program in Thailand, I guess. What are the differences between, I guess, your, your Canadian um, university system and studying overseas in Thailand? I think that was a really valuable experience for me, especially considering the subject matter that I studied, as well as my future career path in fishery science and issues like marine management and so forth. Um, because a lot of what I've studied at the University of New Brunswick would be things like phycology, marine parasitology, fish morphology, um, and a lot of those field courses and the different sort of applied and hands-on approaches to learning about these things happen in areas in New Brunswick or around the Maritimes. So when I was able to go to Thailand and study things like coastal and reef ecology, a lot of the field work involved hiking on, you know, a remote island that kind of borders Thailand and Myanmar and snorkeling on reefs and sort of investigating species and ecosystems that aren't exactly accessible when you live in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Um, so I think that was a really cool and notable difference. And I guess one of the more, still a big difference, but less related to the actual science was that I actually wore a school uniform, which happened to be the first time I've ever done that. So that was kind of a, a fun cultural difference as well. During your time at the University of New Brunswick, you also worked in the Canadian Rivers Institute, helping with a variety of projects. Other than your undergraduate thesis, which we'll get into in a bit, is there one project that pops back in your memory more often than the others? Absolutely. I'm really fortunate for the people that I've met when I worked with CRI and in the Linensari lab at UNB. And I think one of the coolest projects I was involved in was a striped bass stomach sampling study. So my colleagues and I at the lab would be routinely fishing for striped bass and miramichi, which are positively delicious. And it's also fun to get to spend a summer fly fishing and spin rod fishing on the Miramichi, uh, which is quite a famous spot around here for doing so. But we would also set up tables 
at all of the popular launches around the area and get to converse with fishers and people that come and travel to do this specifically with family, people that have been fishing in these areas for years um, and have really, really cool conversations about just the local area and different fishing stories, uh, meeting really cool people that own different tackle shops as well. And we would gut striped bass for free essentially and we would keep their stomachs and then we would sample them later to see what these striped bass were eating in this specific watershed. Um, so it was really cool to just meet the sheer amount of people that we met when we were doing this project and get to fish all summer. So really no complaints about that one. And we mentioned that you also worked with the Canadian Rivers Institute on your undergraduate thesis. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the morphology of Atlantic salmon? Certainly. So my honors thesis with the University of New Brunswick what took place in Dr. Tommy Linansari's lab, and it was co-supervised by a PhD candidate in the lab, Mr. David Roth. And what we were looking at was the effects of hatch time spent in hatchery on Atlantic salmon in an experimental conservation strategy called the Smolt to Adult Supplementation Program. Um, and this was through a program called the Collaboration for Atlantic Salmon tomorrow. So essentially, instead of juvenile stocking in this experimental system in Miramichi to conserve Atlantic salmon, which are currently on the verge of extirpation in the area, what CAST aims to do and what small to adult supplementation aims to do is stock at a different life history stage. So essentially capturing these salmon as smolt, storing them in hatchery settings, and then replacing them back to their natal rivers to spawn as adults. So instead of stocking like fry essentially that get i guess put into these river systems in huge amounts and then immediately you know preyed upon or eventually get to the age where they can smultify but then the mysteries of the marine ecosystem take them in the sea and they don't end up returning to their natal rivers to spawn what researchers through cast and the small to adult supplementation program are aiming to do is experiment with different life history stages in hatchery and as well as replacement in natal river systems to hopefully promote successful spawning um, of Atlantic salmon where in the rivers that they've come from. That all sounds like really, really fascinating work. I guess, were you able to come up with any conclusions in the, in the time that you were working on the project? So my honors thesis was predominantly looking at the effects of the hatchery environment on different age classes, uh, which we refer to as hatchery winter classes in this project, in terms of things like fecundity and maternal provisioning, um, a few different metrics. And essentially, one of the, I guess, key takeaways in terms of aquaculture, which is sort of like a widely known, uh, I guess, theme in aquaculture is reducing or minimizing the effect of the hatchery effect uh, on these fish. So trying to mimic nature as closely as possible in terms of densities, um, substrate, uh, because you can have what's called like shovel tail in, um, in aquaculture fish or in hatchery raised fish and different sort of morphological differences that are largely due to time spent in hatchery. So minimizing those effects um, by reducing or mitigating the amount of time that fish spend in hatchery environments is definitely crucial. And I think that's why this is such a controversial topic or hatchery environments in general are such a, a controversial topic in terms of even like sea farming and, and sea penning and cages in commercial aquaculture as well is because there are some phenotypic deviations and, and some genetic deviations depending on 
kind of how fish are spawned in hatchery and how long they're kept in hatchery as well. Um, but I think if there's anything that people who work in fisheries are realizing, you know, with climate change evolving and all the different issues that people in the marine sector are facing is that modern problems require very modern solutions. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to see this work continue through UNB and CRI. I'm sure it was a somewhat hard decision to step away from that and move on to to your master's program. I, I believe you just wrapped up your first semester there at Dalhousie University working towards a marine or a master's degree in marine management. Mm. Yes, what, are, what specifically are you studying for this project? For sure. Yeah, it was definitely tough to step away from UNB as well as the lab. Um, I've sort of mentioned already, I've made a, a wealth of fabulous connections there and I've learned so much. But something that was really important to me moving through my undergrad and even pre, I guess, post-secondary education, really trying to stick my hand in as many different baskets as I possibly could and just garner different experiences that would inevitably, excuse me, lead to transferable skills in whatever academic or professional setting I move to. So whether or not that's science communication, um, ability to use coding software like R, different soft skills, leadership development, all of that. Uh, and that was, you know, another step on on that journey was meeting all the people that I did in the lab and having all the different experiences that I've had. But now here at Dalhousie, where I'm studying, as you've mentioned, my master in marine management, what this program really focuses on and what really drew me in is the interdisciplinary of fishery science. So my colleagues and the other people in my cohort are in things like policy in social sciences and human dimensions of marine protected areas, for example. One of my close friends is studying that. And where I come from a more natural science heavy background, um, and I have a preference and different experiences with coding and using statistics. Um, there's a really cool sort of blend of people with different expertises that are all working towards solving contemporary issues in marine management. So a lot of what my program looks at is de-siloing or sort of promoting that interdisciplinary, I guess, collaboration across fields of social science and natural sciences as well, and looking at different knowledge systems and ways of knowing whether or not that's traditionally I guess, rooted in Western science or also looking at indigenous, indigenous knowledge systems, excuse me, to explore things like co-management uh, and shared governance in marine resource management and consultation with different stake and rights holder groups as well. So not only are we looking at creating or revising or reviewing existing policy um, in terms of the management of marine resources, but also how to make the approaches to solving these issues more based in systems thinking. So it's a really cool way to be exposed to concepts that I never really had to be exposed to or never really was exposed to throughout my natural science background. So I'm really trying through my own graduate project and my research to lean into extracting different fisheries management perspectives and recommendations out of natural science, but also root them through an intersectional lens and a lot of social science that I haven't had a lot of experience with. So it's been a very eye-opening experience, lots of very cool learning and seminars and collaborations so far. When you sent me the your information to, to base my questions off of, uh, your project sounded like it'd be a lot more um, kind of sitting at a computer doing coding stuff, but the way you described it there sounds like it's a lot more social science-y type things. Is it kind of a mix of both or one or the other? 
that's another really cool selling point of my program is that we have courses. Um, so it's not necessarily a fully course based program. There still is a graduate project with sort of an untraditional thesis attached to it. So it's not entirely research based. I'm not kind of on my own or collaborating with one researcher who is, I guess, my dominant PI or supervisor and sort of creating this science thesis out of my own research interests. I have a variety of seminars and different elective courses as well um, that really rely on group work and collaboration and sort of building this foundation of knowledge like we have been talking about with social science and, and all the stuff I sort of just mentioned. And this sort of culminates in my graduate project, which is really the focal point and sort of the last step to completing my program. So it's partnered with an internship over the summer. And my graduate project, I'll be completing with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans here in Nova Scotia. And I'll be using R to basically create a model of geospatial distribution of sharks in Atlantic Canada based on historical catch data um, here in the Maritimes. So that part definitely is a bit of sitting in a computer and coding and leaning into my natural science background. But what's really cool is being able to tease fisheries management implications out of that project and apply them through sort of that social science intersectional lens. So basically looking at if there's any recommendation I can make that mitigates bycatch of endangered shark species here in Atlantic Canada um, based on overlap with commercial fisheries and different things like that, which is really interesting. You mentioned that that's kind of paired with an internship. Does that internship mean that you get to go out and sample the sharks or they mostly stick you behind a computer and make you do all the boring work? <laughs> as much as field work, it definitely is fun. I think, I don't know if that just makes me a nerd for the fact that it's equally interesting to be coding in R. Um, but I'm in the sort of initial stages of planning my project right now. So whether or not I'll actually get to do any field work is sort of remaining to be seen. Um, but one of the things I'm most excited about this summer is going back to my job as a deckhand with the Canadian Coast Guard. So that will definitely involve some field work. <laughs> we'll get to the, the Coast Guard in a, in a second. I know that's probably been a, a point of interest for some listeners for a while now. Um, but um, I guess your your background with sharks isn't just this project you've also done some other work with sharks uh, i think with with osearch and um, the university of the west indies is that correct yeah so i initially met some researchers at the university of miami through a scholarship program um it's very or at least it was at one time quite difficult to become involved with shark science in Atlanta, Canada as a young undergrad, which is quite surprising considering the sheer amount of sharks that we have around us. Um, but I was looking online for opportunities, things like field courses, things like online lectures from other universities, and getting more involved in shark science. And I came across in my second year of university, which I believe was 2018-2019, I came across um, the website for field school, which is a really unique program that's been implemented by, as I've mentioned, researchers from the University of Miami. So I had applied to their scholarship program and a couple of weeks later received an email that I was invited to an introductory elasmobranch ecology course in the Florida Keys. So I traveled to Miami and ended up shark tagging and doing workups and learning about 
shark ecology and physiology. Um, got to witness a dissection that was really cool um, for, I believe, a week in Key Biscayne, which sort of solidified that, yeah, this is absolutely what I want to do. And I learned about a lot of really cool projects that those researchers are working on, including looking at blood chemistry of sharks and how they physiologically respond to stress induced by things like climate change, human interference, all that really cool stuff. And then, yeah, my love of sharks and shark science just continued to evolve. And OSEARCH is doing some cool work looking at uh, white sharks here off of the coast of Nova Scotia. And I did a science communication piece, actually, where I interviewed um, their lead researcher. And I published that with the Atlantic Student Research Journal chapter out of UNB. And I was able to go tagging with them for a day, which is really cool, um, in Mahone Bay and Lunenburg. And those places are very near and dear to my heart. I absolutely love it there. So it was really fun to get out on their ship and see if we could catch any white sharks to work up. A number of years ago, they used to have uh, separate Twitter handles for each one of the the great whites that they they tagged, and they so they send out movement data, and they'd kind of have some banter amongst each other. Um, so that that was always fun. Yeah, it's funny because whenever they surface around my hometown, there's like a number of family friends and and my family and my parents and my sister. Everyone sends me all the shark data when they pop up around Nova Scotia. And we, we've teased it a few times, but another fascinating layer of the Reed Sutherland onion is that you work for the Canadian Coast Guard doing search and rescue. How did you become involved with that? So here in Canada, we have the FSWEP program. And forgive me, I can't remember the actual name of the acronym here. I'll look it up. But basically, it's a student employment portal for the federal government. Uh, so it's called the Federal Student Work Experience Program. And the only real stipulations for applying for this program is that you create sort of a student profile that details what year of school you're in, what you're studying, a CV or a resume, and your contact information. And basically what FSWEP will do for you is forward all this information to different job opportunities that are really cool, really unique, a lot of people don't know about, and a lot of people don't actually know about FSWEP or don't pursue this opportunity. And the Coast Guard hires through the FSWEP portal. So I was looking for jobs and I was fortunate to grow up never really doing the like desk job thing very, you know, from working as an intern in Jamaica or growing up riding horses and working as a farmhand. Um, definitely wanted something fast paced and very hands on. And of course, my love of the ocean, it just sort of made sense. So I applied for the Canadian Coast Guard um, student positions, which involve coxswains and deckhands. And I was fortunately selected to move on to the interview stage, was then invited to training camp, and then had my first season as a deckhand with the Coast Guard doing search and rescue. Yes. Are there any uh, fun stories you can tell us about that? Any, uh, any thrilling rescue operations or is it all hush hush? Um, a lot of it is especially sort of specific instances are definitely confidential just to respect everybody involved, but I really can't say enough about the program. The people are fabulous. Um, we're trained with a variety of different certifications and hands-on experiences that are hugely beneficial to anybody that wants to work in the marine sector. Um, you get pretty good at maneuvering boats. You get to spend your summer on the water. And I think the biggest part and the biggest thrill for all of the students that are involved in these crews 
is being able to share our love of the ocean and being in and on it with other people and helping them to do that safely, which is really fun. So there's nothing better than, you know, going out on patrol and just like seeing everybody enjoying the water, um, being able to help out where we're needed. It's definitely the best job I've ever had. And I can't wait to go back. For the audience's imaginations, they can just pretend that, uh, that you're like Ashton Kutcher and Kevin Costner in The Guardian. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's funny. That's a training camp must-have. Everybody always watches The Guardian. Do you get yelled at in training camp if you reference The Guardian? <laughs> it hasn't happened to me yet, but I also haven't looked at any of my instructors and said, hoorah, maybe I'll do that next year. You also mentioned that you are into surfing, and in complete Midwestern uh, my mid- complete Midwestern naivete. Uh, I must ask, do you surf on the shores of Nova Scotia? Yeah. So I don't know if that's sort of like a little known fact about Nova Scotia, but especially in kind of towards Halifax where Dalhousie is, uh, there's a variety of kind of more well-known beaches. Like Lawrencetown is really popular for surfing. Um, you can rent a wetsuit and a board in the summer. And I think it's quite the tourist attraction. Um, but there's also some kind of lesser known, more local spots that I would definitely get in trouble uh, for saying on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's some really cool surf spots nestled in around Nova Scotia and up into New Brunswick as well. So I think that's sort of one of the lesser known appeals or lures of the Maritimes for people that haven't grown up around here. There's lots of good surf spots. Mostly you wear a wetsuit year round just because the cold water, it's not like the Southern Florida or California surfing with just trunks yeah i guess this summer which i don't know if it's like an exciting thing or just like climate change which is kind of unfortunate but this summer a lot of people were just surfing in rash guards uh even when the water was kind of chilly but i think what's really popular in nova scotia is storm swell and winter surfing is huge but i definitely don't have the backbone for winter surfing i get too cold too fast that that doesn't sound fun to me to be cold and wet so i'd also pass yeah and going back to Pictou County, I, I looked it up because I'm not at all familiar with Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'll also admit that my awareness of notable Canadians is low, but there was one name on the list that I, I recognized, and that was Mike Smith, or as the more as more people probably know him as Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. Oh, yeah. Is there a bubble statue in the area of Pictou County? There isn't, but my mom actually grew up knowing him as a kid. So we do have an autographed picture of the Trailer Park Boys in my basement, in my home, like my family home. Yeah, so is Trailer Park Boys like a cult following in Canada or is it, uh, was it kind of widespread, widely watched? Um, very much a household name, I would say. There's actually a fun little pub in Halifax that my friends and I like to go to and it's owned by the Trailer Park Boys. Um, and one of my friends actually had just visited the city recently and she went to Ikea and I think she actually saw Julian of the Trailer Park Boys at Ikea. Um, but yeah, I would say Trailer Park Boys is definitely a household name. There's definitely a cult following around here. And actually in my old lab on the really rainy days when we couldn't be electrofishing and we were finding sort of ways to still be productive, like labeling test tubes and all that sort of stuff, cleaning equipment, reorganizing, we would often have Trailer Park Boys playing in the background. Very, very. It's a popular maritime phenomenon, I would say. Yeah, I was introduced to it in college and uh, I watched most of the episodes and um, really enjoyed it, but tried to get my wife into it. And I think she only lasted about five minutes. <laughs> Said she didn't enjoy it. taste, yeah. 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 Well, from one great show to the other, we've mentioned that you are going to be coming on as one of the, the new hosts of the show. 
Yeah. Um, so thank you for volunteering for that role. What is one of the things that you're most looking forward to as a host of the Fisheries Podcast? Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get started. And I think something that is really important to what I would say the demographic I'm coming from in terms of sort of emerging professionals and young learners in this field is really getting to converse with a variety of different professionals that have different academic and professional backgrounds and different paths that have led them to where they're at today. And I think something that even this morning that we had discussed was the really rich diversity and variety of guests and conversations that are had on the podcast. And I think going back to sort of my mindset of really trying as to experience as much as I possibly can in these sort of young informative years of my education and see and develop a taste for what I'm interested in, what I'm not so interested in. Um, this is going to be, I think, a huge advantage to me and other people in my cohort that I know will listen to these episodes. Um, other people, you know, whether that be in the United States, across Canada, people listeners everywhere um, that are in sort of that same stage as me, kind of figuring out where to go next, hearing all of these really diverse tales of opportunities, of ways to get involved in fishery science, um, the current issues that marine managers and people in the marine sector are facing is really interesting. And I think I'm really looking most forward to having these conversations with people and hearing how they've gotten to where they're at now um, and definitely advice they have for people trying to break into this sector as well. If everything goes to plan, your first episode, if people are looking forward to it, will come out on January 29th. So um, stay tuned for that, as well as all of our other episodes. Well, Reed, thank you for coming on the show to introduce yourself and uh, become acquainted, let the listeners become acquainted with you. And also thank you for volunteering to step up and be a host of the show. But as a host, that doesn't make you immune from our final five questions. And <laughs> This is a group of five questions that we ask each of the guests to come on the show. And we always start real simple with what is your favorite fish? Oh, my goodness. There's so many. I would have to go for the striped bass. What is your favorite memory from your career so far? Oh, my goodness. Hard questions. I think my favorite memory from my career so far would have to be finishing my first ever presentation at a conference. Um, it was my sort of preliminary findings when I was still finalizing my honors thesis. And I presented at a student conference with a few other UN beers that were also presenting their own work. And it was just such a cool experience to see people from my lab show up and support and watch other people from both my lab and my university present their own research. And as a young undergrad, I think, especially as a young female undergrad, I was facing a lot of like imposter syndrome and wondering where I was going next, what next educational and professional steps I would take, trying to make career decisions, and also trying to finish this thesis. So I think presenting and ultimately winning an award was just like a very validating and fun experience, especially during COVID. Everything was virtually delivered. Um, so huge shout out to the organizers of that conference and everyone else that presented. It was such a blast. We mentioned that you just started your, your master's program. Um, so it might be a few years down the road, but what is your dream job or dream location to work in? Oh, man, I would say I'm definitely eyeing the Department of Fisheries and Oceans with the government of Canada. Um, I would love to do potentially research with them. I would love to see what the opportunities are for continuing with the Coast Guard. Um, but I'm definitely looking at government of Canada would would be up there with dream jobs. And if money was not an issue, what is one project that you would like to work on? Oh, man. Once again, there are just so many 
Um, one project I would like to work on. Hmm. I think I would definitely have to head back to Discovery Bay Marine Lab in Jamaica, where I did my internship, my second after the year or the summer, excuse me, after my second year of university. Uh, I did lots of cool projects with them. They were huge players in community engagement and scientific outreach. Um, they were doing really cool projects like juvenile nursery mapping and sea and turtle or um, eel and turtle grass areas surrounding the lab. They were doing lots of cool uh, work with mangroves and aquaponics. Um, so I'd definitely like to go back there and see what they're up to and hang out with them a little bit more. And finally, if there was one point or one principle that you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? I think I would have to go back to the discussion of intersectionality and interdisciplinarity in fishery science. It's definitely something that I've been learning the most about in the first semester of my master's. And I've been learning from some really, really awesome people that have diverse backgrounds in doing this. Um, so it's definitely changed and shifted my mindset from more of a linear approach to more of a systems thinking approach. Um, shout out to Dr. Hannah Harrison. I think she actually was a guest on this podcast. Um, she is my professor for contemporary issues and marine management. And I definitely credit that class to shifting a lot of my mindset and the ways that I approach thinking about complex issues. And I think that a lot of the things that we cover and a lot of the papers that we read definitely should if they aren't already shaping the minds of sort of the next generation of marine managers well reed thank you for coming on the podcast today it was a pleasure hearing about you and in your background and i guess uh our listeners will look forward to to hearing from you more if people want to find out more information or get a hold of you what would be the best way to do that Ooh, um, you can find me on LinkedIn and also definitely happy um, to chat over email. Um, and then my email is just read.sutherland at dal.ca. And if you would like to get a hold of me or anyone else at the Fisheries Podcast, including Reed, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Fisheries Pod or old fashioned email feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast logo shirts and hoodies available on Teespring. I am Nick Kramer, and thank you for listening to the Fisheries Podcast. And remember to open your mind to alternative thinking. <laughs>